Hello and welcome to QPod, QIC's Investor Insights podcast series. I'm Craig Valenzuela, Managing Director for Global Business Development. And each week we invite our listeners to take 10 and get the latest economic insights from our in-house economics team. And good morning to our Chief Economist, Dr. Matthew Peter. Matthew, I know you're a proud Melbourneian. Uh, were you affected at all by the recent earthquakes? Uh, well, uh, not not directly. Uh, all my family's down there, of course, uh, Craig, and uh, my younger sister, when it was happening, was in the kitchen looking out at a, she's got a pool in the backyard, and they lost half the water out of the pool, so it must have been quite a shake. I've also got a nephew with a uh, restaurant in Chapel Street, but it wasn't Betty Burgers. I think he's okay. Yeah, no, Chapel Street was definitely affected. Uh, our thoughts go out to all the people impacted. Matthew, it's also been a very busy week for the world's central bankers. Uh, what have been the major outcomes that you've observed? Well, that's right, Craig. I mean, a number of banks uh, had policy meetings this week. Uh, in the main, they were signalling uh, improving economic conditions, and that was reflected in uh, policy pronouncements. So, for example, Brazil and Norway, uh, for example, both raised rates, while the Swiss, Philippines, uh, US and the UK central banks, uh, whilst keeping policy settings currently on hold, uh, their forward guidance uh, was of tightening to come down the track. This week, Matthew, the Fed, however, has been accused of pimping the money presses and raining cash on Wall Street, uh, headlined by the Australian Terry McCran. Is this how the market saw it, however? Well, I mean, Terry's right in the sense that the Fed is currently injecting $120 billion into the US bond market per per month. So yes, the Fed is currently raining cash. But what the market is reacting to is how quickly the Fed is intending to take the, you know, the punch bowl away there, Craig. So we have been expecting, for example, QRC, the Fed to taper its uh, bond purchase program from December at a pace of about $15 billion per FOMC meeting, which is roughly every six weeks, which would have meant that the punch bowl would be dry by next October. Now, the market prior to the Fed meeting was expecting an even slower pace of uh, taper, maybe not until the end of uh, 2022 or even the first quarter of 2023 before the tapering was complete. Now, what happened uh, yesterday was the Fed announced that the tapering would be complete by June, July next year, and, and that's what the market's responding to. That and the fact that the Fed signalled a much faster pace of interest rate hikes than what had been anticipated. So the Fed funds rate uh, is expected to reach 1.75% by the end of 2024, by according to the Fed dot plots, whereas most commentators and forecasters had expectations of the Fed funds rate reaching only about 1.375% by the end of 2024. So that's quite a big difference there too. Craig. So initially we saw, interestingly, uh, not much of a reaction in the bond market, but that's really changed overnight. Our time in the US 10-year bonds have now sold off sharply. Yields have gone up 10 basis points uh, on the realisation of uh, tighter monetary policy now. Notwithstanding that rise in interest rates, interestingly enough, um, equity markets have rallied, uh, and that's presumably off the back of a more positive economic outlook implied by the, uh, the Fed's outlook. You're listening to Craig Valenzuela and QIC's Take 10 podcast, where our chief economist, Dr. Matthew Peter, is taking us through the latest economic analysis that's shaping your investment outlook. So, Matthew, given this move towards a more tightening bias by the US and other world central banks, will it force the Australian RBA to follow suit? Well, Craig, the, the RBA can't afford a hawkish tone until it's clear how the current lockdowns in New South Wales and Victoria will resolve themselves. The RBA, I think, almost must also wait 
to see what course the Fed takes in its tapering program, which will be revealed in its October meeting. A surprise acceleration of Fed tapering you know, would put further downward pressure on the Aussie dollar, and that would allow the RBA to also step up its pace of, uh, of tapering as the, as the Aussie dollar no doubt falls under that, that scenario. The RBA also needs to see how the Evergrande situation unfolds and its impact on the Chinese economy and, and consequently the demand for iron ore and coal. All things considered, I don't expect any signalling of more tighter policy stance by the RBA until at least their February meeting next year when they emerge from their summer break. You're listening to Craig Balanswala and QIC's Take 10 podcast, where our Chief Economist, Dr. Matthew Peter, is taking us through the current economic analysis that's shaping your investment outlook. Matthew, staying with the economic forces that influence Australia and your comments just now on Evergrande from China, plenty of coverage this week on Evergrande and its viable future. Can you give us a brief insight into the company? Yeah, Craig, well, look. It's a pretty interesting company. It was founded in 1997 and rose to become China's largest property developer by 2016. That's a place it's now lost, of course. Its growth was fuelled by the GFC when the Chinese government launched stimulus packages, if you remember, to boost the housing construction. And it and it also, at that time, uh, lowered interest rates to encourage borrowing. Now, at that period, Evergrande really boomed and it funded its growth uh, largely through debt. Subsequently, with house prices becoming among the least affordable in the world and the economy becoming too susceptible to the housing market, Chinese authorities have been cooling the property market intermittently since around about 2015. Why does that leave us now? Well, Evergrande is now left with $300 billion worth of debt uh, that it's struggling to uh, repay in a, in a property market that's cooling. What will happen? Well, it'll either have to be restructured, uh, it'll have to either be bailed out by the government or alternatively it'll go under. Uh, the most likely result, uh, we think, is that uh, restructure is likely perhaps with some implicit government support. Of course, Evergrande describes itself as a Fortune 500 company, Matthew. In addition to its property development arm, it also owns eight major industries, including electric vehicles, property services, internet and media production, a theme park of all things, and even mineral water. So does it represent a systemic risk to the global economy? Yes, well, everyone's question now is, <clears throat> will Evergrande be China's Lehman moment? And and it doesn't seem that that's likely, Craig. Look, first of all, Evergrande's $3 billion worth of debt, of that $3 billion worth of debt, only $88 billion is owed to the banks and bondholders. And this debt is largely contained within China, uh, with overseas banks really having very little exposure directly to Evergrande. Now, within China, that debt... Uh, that $88 billion represents just 0.22% of the Chinese banking system loans. So on its own, it's it's not a big deal. Now, the other source of risk is via payments to uh, suppliers, such as construction subcontractors, and that's worth a, uh, a bit more, about $125 billion, and, and also to deposits uh, from buyers of unfinished uh, apartments. That's another $31 billion. Now, if Evergrande folds, those two sources, the, the subcontractors and uh, households who have bought these apartments, they'll come under pressure. And it, it's, it's our opinion that authorities won't want to see those uh, creditors you know, punished uh, unnecessarily. And uh, our view is they'll 
they will provide some uh, form of compensation to businesses and households who are caught out secondarily. But in the main, it doesn't look like it's big enough to be a systemic risk to the global economy. So, Matthew, earlier we talked about the transparency the Fed's providing and how it's affecting the market. Are there any deeper insights a situation like Evergrande provides economists like yourself into the Chinese government policy? Yeah, I think so, Craig. Look, you know, we discussed this in a recent Take 10 um, episode. Chinese authorities have been reining in large companies that they believe are, are steering the Chinese economy away from the path of common prosperity or are indeed encouraging spending on activities uh, not supported by the government, such as gaming, for example. Now, the Chinese government wants to reduce the growth rate of housing construction. Uh, they want to reduce the oversupply of housing. And they also want to uh, wipe out speculative behaviour, which they fear is driving uh, the strong growth in uh, housing construction. The demise of Evergrande is consistent with government policy, which wants to see production shifted away from the housing market into other uh, forms of uh, economic activity, particularly uh, high-tech manufacturing. And it also wants to see uh, more affordable housing. You must be remember that Evergrande was striking out on buildings of uh, the real high end. Uh, it also wants to pull back on those uh, really, key, really rich leaders of businesses like Evergrande. So it is consistent with government policy that Evergrande should either um, go under or it should at least restructure. The outcome turn uh, we think will happen is that the company will restructure. Creditors will take some form of a hit and the company will become really a supplier of low-cost affordable housing. I believe the Chinese government will allow Evergrande to fail if needs be, as it's consistent with its signalling to Chinese businesses that you must toe the party line. It will be willing to pay a price uh, for that to happen, but it will manage the fallout to the economy and to households and to smaller businesses, especially leading into their important uh, 20th National Party Congress. Yeah, wow, really insightful. Thanks, Matthew, for that. Uh, and on what appears remarkably similar policy approaches to the world's largest economic forces, despite differing forms of execution. Equity markets ignored the bond market sell-off, instead choosing to see the Fed's transparent, tighter policy as signalling stronger growth. And does the Evergrande situation provide that unique insight into how the Chinese government is, man is managing both its economic and social policies through a company many in the Western world might see as too big to fail. And sandwiched in amongst all this, of course, is Australia, who is looking to navigate these global forces whilst managing our own lockdowns in our largest two state economies. I'm Craig Valenzuela for QIC's QPod. Thank you for listening and have a super weekend.